Have you ever had that heart-stopping moment when you realized you forgot the password to a critical account? I have, and that's exactly why I switched to 1Password years ago, and honestly, it's been a game-changer. I can't do without 1Password, and I know that if you give it a try, you will feel the same way. And when you support our sponsors, then you support the show. So I encourage you to check out what 1Password has to offer One of the things 1Password has to offer is it combines top-tier security with an award-winning design, making password management a breeze for anyone, anywhere. From the moment I started using 1Password, I said goodbye to the days of resetting passwords and worrying about security breaches. You see, 1Password isn't just about convenience. It's about saving you from the real cost of data breaches and the daily time suck of password resets. It works seamlessly across all your devices, filling in passwords for you so that you can sign in with a click. And the best part, all you need to do is remember one strong password that protects everything else. I've been using 1Password for as long as I can remember. My family is using it. Everyone in this household has bought in. It's, again, a game changer. It's completely transformed how I handle my digital security and my family feels the same way. We've gotten away from using the same passwords again and again and again, or sticky note reminders or having that notebook that says passwords I must remember. Plus, 1Password is trusted by millions, including giants like IBM and Slack. With 1Password, my digital life and my family's digital life is not only more secure, but infinitely simpler. And look, if you've ever been frustrated by a family member constantly asking for passwords, 1Password's secure sharing has been a total relationship saver for me. It's so secure that the Associated Press relies on it in high-risk areas, which means it's more than capable of keeping your digital life safe and streamlined. So why not make the switch? Protect yourself, your family, and your business with 1Password. It's the simple and secure way to manage your digital life. And right now, listeners of A Productive Conversation get a free two-week trial at onepasswordcom convo. That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash productive convo. Again, onepassword.com slash productive convo. Check out one password. I know you'll fall in love with it like my whole family has. Again, that's onepassword.com slash productive convo for two free weeks. Check it out today. Have you ever considered the impact your work environment has on your health and your productivity? Enter Uplift Desk, a revolutionary standing desk designed to transform the way you work. And that's just the beginning of what Uplift Desk has to offer. With an emphasis on ergonomics and customization, Uplift Desk offers a solution that caters to the dynamic needs of modern professionals. Whether you're coding, designing, or podcasting, like I am right now, the flexibility to switch between sitting and standing can significantly enhance your focus and vitality. What makes Uplift Desk stand out is not just their commitment to quality and innovation, but also their dedication to creating a healthier workspace. With options to customize from over 100 desktop materials and a plethora of accessories, Uplift Desk ensures that your work setup is uniquely yours, promoting better posture and movement throughout the day. And here's an offer to get you started on a healthier work journey starting today. Go to upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting for 5% off your order. That's up 
liftdesk.com slash timecrafting to get 5% off your entire order. Your health, your productivity, your future self will thank you. Again, that's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting and get 5% off your entire order today. I'm Mike Vardy. Ever found yourself deep in a project, your flow state so intense that the world around you just fades away? That's the magic zone where ideas take flight and your work truly comes to life. But what if, in a blink, it could all disappear? Hard drives fail, coffee spills, and yes, even the dreaded accidental delete happens. But fear not, because CrashPlan has your back. Don't wait for disaster to strike. Head over to CrashPlan.com timecrafting now for a free trial and secure your creations with their limited time buy one get one offers. Supporting our sponsors means supporting this podcast, so take a moment to check them out. CrashPlan is the superhero of cloud-based data protection, specifically designed for people like us who live and breathe their digital creations. CrashPlan ensures that every file, every idea, and every piece of hard work is safely backed up and protected. With CrashPlan Professional, you get unlimited backup for your computers, not servers or cloud apps, just pure essential data protection for PC, Mac, and Linux. This means your business plans, designs, music, and documents are continuously encrypted and updated in their secure cloud without you lifting a finger. Imagine this, your laptop takes a dive during a late night work session. With CrashPlan, it's not a disaster, it's just a minor hiccup. Their service runs quietly in the background, safeguarding every change you make every 15 minutes. And if the worst happens, your files are just a few clicks away from being restored with unlimited version retention acting as your personal time machine. For businesses, CrashPlan's multi-tenant capabilities are a game changer. Buy as many licenses as you need, manage them with ease, and let your team or your IT admin restore data seamlessly, saving precious time and resources. So go to CrashPlan.com slash timecrafting now to sign up for a free trial and take advantage of one of their limited buy one, get one offers for a productive conversation listeners. That's CrashPlan.com slash timecrafting. Back up better with CrashPlan. Ever caught yourself marveling at the seamless magic of everyday tech, like how noise-canceling headphones block out the world or the sheer bliss of meeting-free Fridays? Now imagine if there was a way to bring that kind of magic into selling online. Well, guess what? There is, and it's called Shopify. From the moment you decide to launch your online shop to opening your first physical store, and even when you're pinching yourself because, yes, you just hit a million orders, Shopify is there to guide your growth. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or the latest productivity tools, Shopify supports you everywhere with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. The checkout? Oh, it's a breeze for your customers, converting up to 36% better than other platforms. And with Shopify Magic, your AI-powered assistant, you're selling more with way less effort. And you won't be alone in your Shopify journey because Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., supporting giants like Allbirds and Brooklinen and millions of entrepreneurs across 175 countries. Their award-winning support is always there, making sure businesses that grow, Grow with Shopify, and yours can be one of those businesses. And for those looking to level up, Shopify's endless integrations and third-party apps from on-demand printing to chatbots ensure your business is always ahead of the curve. 
So what are you waiting for? Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash timecrafting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash timecrafting. Have you ever looked into fasting and thought, I love the benefits, but I can't go days without eating? Well, that's where Prolon comes in, transforming the fasting experience with a plant-based nutrition program that tricks your cells into thinking they're fasting without actually having to stop eating. Developed through decades of research at the University of Southern California Longevity Institute, Prolon is not just another diet, it's a scientifically backed program designed to support your body's natural processes. Now keep in mind, this isn't about cutting out food, it's about providing your body with the right nutrients to enter a fasting state while still eating. The program includes snacks, soups, and beverages, all carefully designed to support healthy blood sugar levels, cardiovascular health, and even reduce abdominal fat. And the convenience? It's unmatched. Everything you need comes in one box delivered right to your doorstep. Thousands of doctors now recommend Prolon for its health benefits, backed by Nobel Prize winning science. So if you're looking for a way to kickstart your health journey with all the benefits of fasting and none of the hunger, Prolon is the answer. And right now, Prolon is offering a Productive Conversation listeners 10% off their five-day nutrition program. Go to prolonlife.com slash timecrafting. That's P-R-O-L-O-N life.com slash timecrafting for this special offer. Again, that's prolonlife.com slash timecrafting. Check it out today. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. And this is the Productivityist Podcast. Welcome to the Productivityist Podcast. I am your host, Mike Vardy, and this week on the show, my friend Courtney Carver makes an appearance. She's got the book, Soulful Simplicity, How Living with Less Can Lead to So Much More. It's her new book, and uh, I'm really excited to have her on the show. I've, I've known Courtney for a number of years. We we had her up here in my home city of Victoria, BC for her tiny wardrobe tour. And it was great, a full house. And um, we, we didn't exactly put it in the downtown area either. People drove to come see her speak. And you don't have to drive very far to hear her speak today and talk with me about the idea of soulful simplicity, what's in her book. We dive in deep and I'm really, really excited to have her on the show. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Courtney Carver here on the Productivityist Podcast. 
I'd like to welcome my friend Courtney Carver to the Productivity is Podcast. Courtney, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Mike. Thanks for inviting me. So, uh, Courtney, you and I have known each other for a number of years. Did we meet? First time we met, I think, was at World Domination Summit, wasn't it? I don't know if it was World Domination or Mark and Angel, sure enough, think better, live better, but one of those for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I know we had, uh, I mean, we had a great time at the one in, uh, yeah, the first one in Austin. We were, and we're going to be back there again as we're recording this. We've got uh, February of, uh, of 2018 lined up where we're going to be both back down in San Diego. For me, it's going to be nice because it's going to be February, not in Canada. So that's kind of cool. Me too. I'm in Salt Lake City, so it'll be a nice break from uh, the snow. Uh, so you've got a, a book coming out. And this has been, you know, I think this has been a long time coming because I've been looking forward to see. I mean, you've been widely regarded and highly regarded name uh, on the on the um, simple living. I'm going to use simple living scene. I don't want to say minimalism right now, but we could talk about that in a little bit. But the new book's coming out. It's called uh, Soulful Simplicity. Comes in, uh, you know, as we're record as as this episode's airing, it's it's literally a week away. Uh, how living with less can lead to so much more. And I want to talk today about a f- like kind of like your your journey to this we've and i think that that's been explored a lot in in other another podcast but i want to talk about almost like like how how having less and how how living more simply can help you be help people especially my audience members be be a little bit more productive so can you in in a, in a cliff notes version kind of share with me quickly like the journey from you being Courtney, who had a lot of stuff to Courtney, who lives a lot more simpler than she has ever lived before? Sure. Uh, Let me see how quickly I can sum this up since less is more, right? (laughs) That's right. So I was kind of living the, the typical American dream, working way too hard in a lot of debt, um, owning too much house, doing too many things. And I completely burned out and got sick. I was diagnosed with MS in 2006 and treated it as my wake-up call and took action to reduce as much stress as possible from my life so I could live well with MS. And while I didn't know I was going to simplify my life when that first happened, that's exactly the course that I took and simplified everything from diet to debt to work uh, relationships, everything just made everything much simpler, reduced a ton of stress and became much healthier and happier in the process. One of the things that that you've done, and I actually took this on and I've continued to do this is, is project 333. Um, and it's, it's an interesting challenge. Uh, I think I've written about it too, at this point, um, kind of what I've done and I'm actually going through, I think this is my third go round with it. Uh, we tend to change our wardrobes less season, le- less often here because we don't get too much of a, I mean, you've been up here before, but we don't get too much of a, of a, uh, it's either raining or it's late spring. Like there's no real heavy winter and there's no real super hot summer. Um, but can, I want to talk a little bit about that before we dive into the book is the idea of, of project 333, because I think that's what, what a lot of people when, when they're trying to become more productive or when they're trying to, you know, figure out how they can save and they, they want quantitative as well as qualitative. And I think project 333 really helps with that. So can you kind of explain a little bit about it and, 
and what impact that you like, what stories you've heard around that? Because you did a, a whole workshop here at the, on the tiny wardrobe tour. We, we were sold out and people were, uh, they were just, there was a lot of really great questions, a lot of real pe- great people who've tried it, some who hadn't. Um, so let's, let's, let's explore that a little bit because I think that's a great quantitative and ultimately a qualitative challenge as well. Minimalist Fashion Challenge Project 333 uh, started in 2010. I created this challenge for myself as uh, just a, a way to figure out what enough meant to me to end closet chaos because it felt like that was the one area that I just could not get control of. I kept shopping and buying new things and I felt like I had just been shopping, shopping, shopping. And yet every morning I would get in the closet and be like, I have nothing to wear today, even though there were plenty of choices. And so I wanted to see what it would be like to dress with less. And the rules of the challenge are pretty simple. You choose 33 items, including clothes, accessories, jewelry, and shoes for three months. And really it could be in any weather condition. So even if you don't have a lot of varying weather, if you have, like, for instance, the season that I'm in right now in Salt Lake, we'll have temperatures starting in the beginning of October that are really warm. And at the end of this season, it'll be snowing uh, probably as soon as next week. So I can accommodate for all different types of weather with those 33 pieces. And again, what started as a personal challenge sort of turned into a movement. And now tons of thousands of people from all over the world have tried it. And the stories that I get are pretty phenomenal. Everything from um, people experiencing less decision fatigue, because they're not making those crazy decisions every day about what to wear. They're instead wearing their favorite things. Uh, People have told me that they have less anxiety and depression overall uh, based on simplifying their choices, which I find really powerful. Uh, People are getting more compliments on what they're wearing because they are finally dressing in clothes that fit their bodies and their lifestyle instead of chasing trends and, you know, trying to keep up with whatever the magazines and marketers tell us we're supposed to be wearing. And it just continues from there. People are definitely finding that the challenge isn't that challenging and that it makes their days much easier and um, more productive because they aren't spending the time and more importantly, the mental energy on deciding what to wear. You know, um, ever since I took on the challenge myself, I've noticed that not only am I wearing things more intentionally, like a lot of the the clothes I have are, are set aside for very particular reasons, which is good. Um, but also my daughter who's like 12 did it. Like she, she did it. She saw me do it. So, and she, she, I mean, she's somebody who has taken on like, obviously a preteen girl, lots of clothing, loves to shop. Um, uh, or at least window shop. And she she went through her closet and pared it down. I don't think she quite got to 33. I think she was, but again, and you've talked about this before, it's not so much about the the number isn't isn't necessarily the most important factor. It's the fact that you've gone and, and made been very intentional about making these kind of deliberate choices. But I was very impressed. I mean, that that she who whose closet was teeming with stuff has now reclaimed a lot of that space. And she was floored by how many articles of clothing that she just wasn't wearing. And I mean, I, the way I've been able to do it 
the challenge consistently is, and this is an old trick I learned from Lifehacker, is um, <clears throat> you turn your, uh, when you when you change your wardrobe over, you turn it so that the hooks are facing outward. So that way you can see anything you've hung up in your closet. And then when you wear it, you take the hanger off and you put it so the, the opening is facing inward. And then by the time the season's done, or in this case, the, you know, the, the, uh, the, 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 the challenge, you could see what clothes you actually wore. And, uh, the, cause your brain will often play tricks on you as you probably uh, allude to you. And, and I'm sure you know that your brain will go, Oh, I wear that all the time when you never, ever do. So, um, this challenge is one of the things that I, that I've taken on. And I know that, that it's been, I mean, again, like I said, that whole room was, and you had, you did a whole tour where you saw a bunch of people and it was, it was a pretty successful tour leading up to, of course, obviously what you're working on now with the book, right? It was really great. So it's not quite finished yet. I have uh, two more cities and then we'll have hit 33 cities. And even though the number is not important, like you mentioned, I thought it would be really fun to do 33 cities in honor of uh, the 33 items of clothing. And I love that your daughter did this challenge. I think it's such a, especially at, at her age, you know, to have that knowledge uh, going into a time where there's a lot of pressure to wear the right clothes and look the right way, uh, I think that she has a leg up on uh, some of her classmates for sure. Yeah, it was it was I was really impressed, and and uh, you know my wife was like, "Are you sure you want to do this?" She's like, "Yeah, absolutely," and and it, it's been great. And I think the big key for her was that she didn't have to throw the clothes away. Like she was like really concerned, like, "Oh, you're going to donate all these clothes?" I'm like, "No, no, no, no. They just go away for a few months, and then." I bring them back out. And, and actually the other great thing about doing the challenge is that, um, the clothes I put away, and this also has to do with my personal themes of like getting in better shape. I've dropped as of this, as of this recording, 12 pounds since, since I initially took the challenge. So all the clothes that I put away that weren't fitting so well, I mean, I've got, I've got an engagement tonight where I'm going to be able to wear a shirt that I hadn't been able to wear. So that was part of the challenge too, is I put those clothes away by the time they came back out, they fit again. So that was also very cool. That's great. I love that. And there's really no sense in keeping clothes that don't fit in plain sight every day because you'll be surprised how that guilt kind of seeps in about, you know, oh my gosh, I can't believe I spent money on that and now it doesn't fit. Or even clothes that we don't enjoy wearing, but we bought because they were on sale. Whatever it is, we really take that guilt in every time we see the items that we're not wearing but we don't realize it until the clothes are out and out of sight. Um, but it is, it is a really good way to, like you said, to challenge yourself in different ways. So let's dive into the new book, Courtney, because I mean, you've divided it now, you've divided it into, into four different sections, right? It's four sections, I believe. Yes. Um, and it's interesting because when I talk to people about being, you know, putting a proper framework together for productivity and such. The, the section you've you've started called Making Me, which is section one, is about starting from the inside. How critical is that when people are trying to pursue a, a more a more a, a living simply or, or having this this soulful simplicity that you, that your book t- discusses? Like, why why was it so important that this had to be the first thing that people would read in the book? Well, I broke it like you said into four sections. So, Making Me is the first making. Uh, space, making time and making love. And while I think they're all very important parts and they're definitely 
a part of my journey. The making me part, I think, is the most important part because so often we don't start with ourselves. And by not starting with ourselves, with our hearts, with our insides, we often make um, compromises that don't serve us. We say yes when we'd rather say no. We are confused about why we do what we do. And we end up becoming people we don't recognize. But if we can pull back a little bit and start reconnecting with ourselves and remembering who we are and what we believe in and what we care about, then we can approach the things that we do and the people that are in our lives with such, um, with much more intention, purpose, um, authenticity. And it's, it's been crucial in my journey to, to get back to, to who I really am instead of, you know, just going through the motions. Well, and I think one of the things you touch on it, chapter six, uh, you know, and I, I doing things you don't want to do. I talk about the idea of, you know, ultimately do more of what you want to do. And I love the, the idea that, that you present. Um, and again, I don't want to give too much away, but why, like, why is it important when you're trying to make you, uh, that you do things that you don't necessarily want to do? Well, I think in, in looking at anything, we have to do things we don't want to do so we can do the things that we want to do. Yeah. So for, for instance, you know, I, if I want to live a happy, healthy life, let's just go out on a, a big, broad note here. I have to take care of myself. And even though I might not want to drink a smoothie for breakfast, even though I'd rather have a big stack of pancakes or uh, something else that may not be as healthy, I know if I want to live this great, big, happy, healthy life that I have to change the way that I eat or change the way that I move or go to bed earlier, uh, you know, make decisions that don't always sound like the most fun and rewarding immediately, but that I know will reward me ongoing. Yeah. You know, I mean, when I did the running race, uh, and I just finished uh, a 10 K, uh, about a couple days ago before recording this episode, um, it's that <laughs> it's, it's the getting ready to go. That sucks. It's the, and honestly, and I don't know if you, I mean, as, as someone who's running now, it's always that first little bit that kind of sucks. But then once you're going, it's like, oh, this is great. Like I had a beautiful run around the lake, but the reason I'm doing it, and a lot of people are like, oh, you're running, are you running to be, have the best time? Are you running to challenge? No, I'm running because I want to stay in shape because I want to see my grandkids and be able to play with them and be able to keep up with my kids. And the only way I'm going to be able to do that is to keep myself in shape. And I've never been a person who's, you know, loved exercise, but you have to do those things you don't want to do. And I, and I, I love that, that notion. And, and again, it's, are, like these decisions are somewhat binary in a lot of ways, right? Like, you know, I mean, you, you, it's either a, and you talk about later uh, in, in, in section three about making, making time and the idea of knowing, um, you know, saying no. And Derek Sivers has this great th quote, which is either, it's either a hell yeah or a no. Um, how important is being very clear about what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do when it comes to making time for yourself? Well, it's everything if you think about it, because if we're, 
Like for instance, my game used to be measuring who I was by what I checked off my to-do list. Right. So I was driven by the to-do list, by my calendar, by proving how successful I was by the amount of work I was doing, not by the quality of work I was doing, not by how much I cared about what I was doing, but how much of whatever it was that I was getting done. And I realized pretty quickly that all of that effort wasn't really making me a better person. It certainly wasn't making me happier, uh, more respected, more likable, whatever. It just wasn't working. I had to change my measuring system. And once I did that and started to measure differently, I realized that I had to protect my time. And the only way to do that is to be intentional about how you're going to spend it, to schedule time for what does matter to you, even if that doesn't, you know, seemingly it doesn't serve anyone around you. Uh, Like if you schedule time during the day, like I do to take a long walk, some people might think that sounds selfish and unserving or non-serving. I don't know what the right word is there, but in actuality, it makes me much nicer to be around. It improves my creativity and my work and it makes me healthier. So I feel like that does serve everyone around me eventually, but it has to start with me sort of like that first section Mm -hmm. on making me. So yes, it's so easy if we don't plan for ourselves to say yes, because we see gaps in our calendar or on the to-do list where, oh, well, we don't have anything going on. We can say yes to all these other things. And then we wonder why we feel overwhelmed and a little bit resentful that we didn't make time for ourselves. You talk about the busy boycott, and I know you don't, you've talked about busyness uh, over at your blog as well, which we'll link to. Um, that we live in this culture of being busy, and, and you are, if you're not busy doing something, then what are you doing? Um, in, this, in this section, and I know we've talked about this before too, but the, the idea of, of, of trying to, I, I don't think you're saying remove being busy busy in terms of it's just the term that sucks right like i think there's a lot of people that get stuck in this idea of being busy means being productive and that's that's a bit explored in in on this podcast in my work a lot of a lot of different ways but if you want to can we can we unpack that a little bit because you've got a manifesto in the book as well and and all that like can we unpack this a little bit is, is the idea of of what busy like why busy has become such a bad word and maybe what we could replace it with or what we could, or, or, or should we eliminate it? Like, I'd love to get your thoughts on this because I think uh, it's hard for people to get their head out of, uh, out of the idea that they just want to get through today. And then they keep going through that, that hamster wheel of, well, tomorrow won't be as busy and the next day won't be as busy, but they get caught in the busy trap. There's a whole article about this and I think a New York times article, but can it's we unpack a that article. a little bit about this whole busy boycott and, and what busy has become as opposed to maybe what it, what it really is? Sure. I mean, I really think at least for me, busy, busyness and productivity were not the same thing at all. Mm. In fact, when I was at my busiest, I was getting the least amount of stuff accomplished in a meaningful way. And so the busyness I always thought of as like, it's those days where you just run circles around yourself, or you are just on autopilot going, going, going. And at the end of the day, you feel like either A, you didn't get very much done, or the things that you did get done weren't very impactful. Uh, 
so yeah, I think the reason I, I feel like busy is a bad word is because we're hyper-focused on it and it's become almost this competition or, you know, way for us to identify how amazing we are because we are so busy, so in demand. Uh, and when I hear conversations, you know, when people call me or email me, they start with, I know you're so busy, but, but I'm not, I'm not that busy actually, now that I've decided not to be, um, in terms of kind of finding a better word, you know, I think we can have a full life. I think that we can have days full of, um, things that we have to do, but when we stop thinking of it as busyness or busy work, we can really pull back and decide, is this work that has to be done? Or am I just doing this because it keeps me busy? It keeps me in that busy trap, as you mentioned. Uh, I think email is a perfect example. I mean, I could literally spend, and I'm sure you could too, all day long being busy with email mm-hmm. and, and never write a, another blog post, never do another podcast interview, never do anything else, but respond to email. And to what end? why would I spend my day being busy like that? And I did for a long time. I can remember full on days. That's all that I would do because it felt so rewarding. Like you got that immediate, um, boost that ping of, okay, I accomplished something. I sent that email or I responded to that email or whatever it was. And now layer social media on top of that, or, you know, whatever, might be going on in your business. I think people can clearly identify when they're thinking about it like this, what is busy work and what's meaningful work. And I'm not saying we never have to respond to another email, but I think that we can put boundaries around it and do it in a, in a way that better serves us. So I want to dive a bit deeper, um, you know, into the idea of, of minimalism and simple, simple living at this point, because, um, and I want to talk about almost not, not the industry of it, because it's become, it's it's kind of funny because when I first started doing productivity stuff, I was actually doing productivity parody because there was just so much out there that they actually called it productivity porn for a while, right? I think it's still out there. I mean, it's I mean, you had all these sites talking about how to life hack and, and hack your life and all that mm. stuff, and they're still quite still there. Uh, minimalism seems to have uh, taken on this this as well, where I mean you. There's almost like, and, and you talk about this in, in one of your chapters to a certain extent about, you know, a simple life is not the end goal. Why do you think minimalism has become such a hot button topic online, number one? I mean, because there's a lot of players out there. You and I both know plenty of them. Uh, Josh Joshua Becker has been on my show, and he's, I mean, he's his book, uh, The More of Less, is, is, is another great one. We've got The Minimalist. There's tons of, um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people out there that are talking about it. And then secondly, you know, I mean, I think that's the first one is why is it being such a hot button? And then how do you find, because I know I'm in this space, and maybe this is where we talk about comparison and not, where there's a lot of people talking about productivity, and you've, you're in a space where there's a lot of people talking about what you talk about. Like, what what do you try to do to either A, stand out, or do you just, is that even a thing that you even focus on at this point? Like, because, I mean, we are in a very, uh, shall we say, crowded space. We Which are? is ironic, no, actually, when you think about it. <laughs> I know there's, there's too much simplicity. Is that what you're saying, Mike? (laughs) (laughs) There, uh, yes. So what I focus on, uh, because I have given this some thought and especially when I first started, 
you know, one of my inspirations was uh, Leo Babauta from Zen Habits, who really kind of, I think, started this simplicity blogging movement. And even though he focuses quite a bit uh, more on habits, he, simplicity is at the core of all of the recommendations that he makes. And so I paid close attention to uh, what he was doing because he inspired me. He inspired change in my life. And I knew that my story was unique and that I could use that. But I also noticed that he was doing it very successfully. You know, how might I, uh, you know, what can I take away from what he's doing? And that's sort of how I started. And then the more and more that I was writing and learning and finding my voice and my heart and my message, uh, the more I realized this whole idea about, you know, for me, at least, this isn't about having this simple, sparse life at all. It's just a tool to get me to this happier, healthier, magic life that I want. I wanted my life back. Uh, so it wasn't the simple life that I was after. It was life. And I felt like I had sacrificed a lot of that uh, just by making my life chaotic and crazy. Not intentionally, but just sort of fell into that. So, so now, so now today, I really try to focus on my own story and what's meaningful. And, and now I'm in a place where I'm getting a lot of great feedback from other people too. So I can, I know what's important. I don't have to guess. Well, and there's so many people that are, again, and, and I want to dive, dive into this a little bit is that again, it's such a popular topic online nowadays, uh, you know, and even, you know, I mean, there, and why, it, I, I'm trying to unpack, trying to question phrase this in, in a way that, but it's almost like there's a lot of people that are searching for this, but yet they they can't quite figure out how to make it happen, or or they look at it and they go, well, that must be nice, but this person has their own business and they don't have a day job and all that stuff. Like where where do people who fall into that category, like the nine to five or the the busy, the, you know, the quote busy parent or the the people who who aren't you know don't have businesses such as ours, where they look at it and they say, well, that must be nice, but I, I can't. How am I going to make that happen? I mean, and I know your book will probably, I mean, your book will definitely because your work has helped people. But where like where do they start? And, and and if they're stuck, like how do they get past that? Well, I'm glad you asked because I know exactly how they feel because that's who I was when I started my blog. I was working full time. I was still in debt. You know, I wasn't this and I still am not like I wasn't at this like expert level. Gosh, I've got it all figured out place when I started. And I don't think any of us need to be whether we're starting a new business or starting uh, to make changes in our life. We don't have to know what we're doing. We don't have to know what's going to happen. We just need to start. And with the the job stuff, I, I wanted that freedom of creating my own schedule, of choosing projects that I wanted to work on, choosing people I wanted to work with. And for me, that meant eventually leaving uh, corporate America. And the only way I could do that for me was to become debt-free and start something that I thought might 
turn into something. And so that's what I did. Literally not knowing a thing about blogging, except for how blogs had impacted me and my life. Um, and, and really figuring it out along the way. So the first thing I would say is when you are feeling like that, like, Oh, that's nice for her or nice for him, but I could never do that is immediately question. your never challenge. your never when you say I could never do that or nice for him. Just notice that resistance challenge. your never and think, well, what if I did, what if I could, and then it kind of leads to, well, why can't I? I mean, if she can do it, why can't I do it? That was sort of the, the path for me. And I didn't end up leaving um, my job until like late 2011. And, and I think a lot of people, they, they don't, they're not willing to give up certain things in order to have that either. I know when I left my job, people were like, well, how are you able to you know, how are you able to do this and not work full time or build your business? And we didn't, I think it's, it's interesting because we didn't buy a lot of stuff. We just lived, you know, fairly simply for lack of a better term. And the funny thing is, is the more that we've grown and evolved and things have done gone well, it's not like we've added a ton of those things, if any, back into the mix. And I think that, I mean, uh, you know, you have to make compromises. What are some of the compromises you made that, again, doing things that you don't want to do? What were some of the compromises you made when you made that leap and saying, you know, I want to have my life back that you weren't necessarily comfortable doing and took a while for you to be okay with? It took us, you know, three, close to three years, maybe a little bit longer to pay off all of our debt between student loans and credit card debt and car loans. I mean, we had all the cards, all the loans, and I definitely didn't want to have to cut back to pay more than my monthly minimum payment on anything, but we did, you know, we, we stopped doing the crazy spending that we were doing before to make that happen. And because that was part of my exit strategy, it was more important to me than going out to dinner or taking a trip or buying some new crazy thing that I knew I would get tired of after a few months. And so even though it felt like sacrifice at the beginning, when I was considering it, once I got into it, it wasn't a sacrifice anymore. Like I didn't miss a lot of the stuff that we gave up to pay down the debt and the payoff at the end of having that freedom. I could never say that I wished we had done things differently or that that was a really hard thing because I just don't think of it in that way. Uh, I'm trying to think about what might've been a major sacrifice. And it wasn't, it was just this, it was just more of a mindset shift shift where I used to always think the solution is more like if I'm having struggles, I have to work more and make more. And, and then if I feel crappy or frustrated, I need to buy more, spend more, do more. But in reality, coming at, at it from the other perspective, like maybe I need to do a little less or spend a little less or own a little less that was much more gentle and resonated with me in a way that I didn't expect. 
do you did you journal along the way like did you chronicle this other than on, on the blog like i mean obviously you're blogging and stuff but i think that you know like because i think a lot of people when they go through this i've gone through this where you know they're they're trying to pursue this or they're trying to get they're going through this mindset shift and um things present themselves along the way that challenge you that say you know what oh, i'll just get this one thing or i'll just I'll just take on this additional thing and, and it'll be fine. It won't take as much time as I think it will. Or I'm going to, I'll, you know what? I'll, I'll buy this, this, this one thing because it, it won't lead to more or whatever. And, and just it, it whittles away at the, at the resolve that you've put in place. Like, so my question, a, did you journal along the way to kind of keep you in this reflective state? So you could say, no, this is what, this is what we're on because I know some people need that. I don't know if you did. And then secondly, like for people who do struggle with that, where they, they are presented with these, these mini challenges or even these obstacles along the way, what advice do you have for them? I did and do journal, but not specifically about those challenges. Like my journal is, um, much shallower, I guess, <laughs> like just writing anything that's on my mind, right. you know, I'm, I'm hungry, I'm bored. I can't believe I did this yesterday or whatever, just blah, blah, blah. I like to get it off my mind and onto paper. But I think what made the biggest difference and kept me in that reflective state and kept me motivated to continue was my, um, morning routine or for people who aren't morning people, a daily routine, uh, having this set period of time where every day or almost every day I meditate a little, I write a little, I stretch a little, I walk a little, I breathe a little, and I listen to my heart a little. All of those things have helped me, you know, as we were talking about before, remember who I am, remember what's important to me. And it helps me through those, those times when I was like, maybe I should go get something new, or I really need something new for this event that's coming up. Surely I can't wear the same dress again. And then I would wear the same dress and nothing would happen. No one would notice. And I would laugh about it. That's something, I mean, I do an evening routine in the morning, but adding those elements to the morning routine seems to be a, so, because then you're waking up, you're starting the day and then you, you've got that resolve built in, right? Definitely. And I re, I can like come back to that feeling that I've created in the morning routine, when I'm struggling throughout the day. So if I am, you know, I don't know what, like having a, a creative block or, uh, feeling like I'm going to take on something that I know I shouldn't take on. I can just say, kind of transport myself back to how I felt in the morning and, you know, what would that calm, nurtured, centered person do? And then I realized that the reason I'm struggling isn't because of the decision I have to make, but because of the place I'm in. So it's either like I've been traveling and I'm a little tired or I am hungry or whatever it is. Uh, sometimes we try to escape feeling what we're feeling by quickly putting a bandaid on it. And sometimes that looks like working with someone you don't want to work with, eating something that you know won't agree with your body or drinking too much, or going shopping, whatever it is for each individual person. But if we know who we are every day, even just for a little while, we can revisit that person and come back to ourselves when we're faced with those decisions. 
Courtney, this has been a, a great conversation. Where can people get the book online, Soulful Simplicity, or even offline? They can go to a store and do it if they want. Just don't be tempted by everything else that might be in your path. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to tell people not to buy stuff and then ask them to buy my book. <laughs> uh, but I would just encourage you that when you're when you're finished to pass it on uh, with love to someone else who might enjoy it. Uh, or even find it at your library, but it will be available. It's on available online now. And uh, for pre-order, there are some wonderful simplicity-inspired bonus gifts that won't clutter up your shelves. So that you can find on my website at bemorewithless.com slash soulful-simplicity. Courtney, thanks again for joining me on the Productivityist Podcast. Thanks, Mike. Now you've got to go and pick up this book, Soulful Simplicity, How Living With Less Can Lead to So Much More. As of the release date of this podcast, it is on pre-order, and uh, I'm, I'm really excited for Courtney. This book is a labor of love. I know what it's like to write books. I'm working on one right now, but... Uh, you know, I, I just love her work and I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to learn more about her stuff, go to the show notes and check out all the stuff we mentioned. All the links are there. And, uh, you know, I mean, again, we're at, you know, no matter what time of year, you know me, I'm, I'm a big believer in you can start the year you want anytime you want. Embracing simplicity is something we can do at any time of year. So get this book and it will help you do just that. Big thanks to John Polster for producing this show. Big thanks to you for listening. And until next time, I am Mike Vardy, the founder of Productivityist and the host of the Productivityist podcast, reminding you to stop guessing and start going. <laughs>